Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. All right. Good morning, Antioch Austin. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, JD got to introduce me. I want to introduce you to my crew. So I think we got a picture. This is my fam. That is my wife, Lacey. We have been married uh, for nine years, 11 months, and five days. If that, sounds, if that sounds impressive, when you're so close to 10, it just gets easy to count backwards, right? Uh, we're, we're coming in hot to the big one, zero, and I could not be more excited to have another human being by my side than my wife, Lacey. She is a woman of faith. She is an anointed worship leader, and we have had so many adventures together, and I look forward to many more. So these are our kids. My son, AJ, is seven years old. My daughter, Ari, is five. And then the little one in the middle is our youngest, Juniper, a.k.a. Junebug, and she's a year old. So, so yes, this picture uh, was taken, like, last year. Okay, I'm a pastor on a budget. I don't take family pics every season, okay? And, and yes, this is the same shirt. I just told you I'm a pastor on a budget. I'm definitely not as cool as your pastor, so deal with it. That's what's going on. I want to talk to you today about the life of Moses, not Moses Chun. We're going Moses, the OG, all right? We're going back in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about Moses. And so you can turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. And let me ask you this question as you turn there. Have you ever been ripped off? Come on. We've all been there. You saw the ad online. You saw the commercial. You saw homeboy or homegirl who had that product that you thought you wanted. It looked too good to be true, but you invested anyways. You bought it, but you didn't get what you paid for. You didn't get what you deserved. Has anybody else been there? I remember the first time I got ripped off. I was seven years old. Life's been hard. My mom took me to the store to buy some new shoes, and I don't have a lot of shoes, never have, uh, but I'm really picky about my shoes, all right? I'm not as cool as your pastor, once again, but, but I'm really picky about the shoes that I invest in, and I was taking a long time, but my mom was trying to help me land, and she helped me land pretty well on some classics. They were classics then, they're classics now, black, Converse, Chuck Taylor, all-stars, right? But I wasn't sure, J.D., I wasn't sure if I could pull them off. You know, I'm still not sure. But my mom, she tried to convince me. She said, baby, and this was the selling point. This locked it in for me. She said, baby, these are the shoes they wore on the sand lot. <laughs> these, you remember that movie? She said, these shoes are guaranteed to make a kid jump higher and run faster. Dang, I want them kicks right there. Now, if you're a Sandlot fanatic, Okay, you know that they weren't Converse All-Stars. They were PF Flyers, okay? So yeah, my whole childhood was built on a lie. I get it. We're just going with it because I went to school believing that these shoes were going to make me jump higher and run faster. After school, I was hanging out with my best friend Chris, and I got to the top of his slide thinking I couldn't make this jump yesterday, but today I can jump from the top of his slide to the picnic table in his backyard. 
all right? I'm not talking about a big slide. You know those little swing set slides, okay? It's low key. But I made the leap, but I didn't make the leap. You know what I'm saying? I hit my knee on the table and had that moment of, of pain and just immediate anger, you know, like the knee hurts, but it's nothing compared just to, to the indignation because I've been ripped off. I came up and the first words out of my mouth were, oh man, my mom is a liar. She was a guaranteed jump higher, run faster. My friend's mom overheard me say that my mom was a liar and that evening, I really wished I could jump higher and run faster because she got a hold of me. And the next day, I went to school. I still couldn't jump higher. I still couldn't run faster. And then I couldn't sit down, if you know what I'm saying. I got ripped off. And maybe you can relate to that way in a little thing or in a lot thing, but you face moments in your life when you did not get what was fair. You did not get what you deserved. And I know you've been studying the prodigal son, You've been studying this dude who took half of his family's wealth and he ran off to Vegas and he blew it all and he got what he deserved. He ended up at rock bottom feeding pigs just so that he could eat the food in the pigsty. But he made his own bed, right? Like that's what he deserved. Apart from the grace of the father, he comes home. You know the story. Everything is forgiven. And the older brother, the faithful one, he's feeling ripped off. Where is what I deserve? What do you do in life when it's just not fair, when you don't get what you deserve, when, when the brokenness and the chaos that you find yourself in is not your decision, it's not your choice? What do you do in life when the pigsty comes to you? We're going to look at the life of Moses, and you're going to see this great leader was actually born into great chaos and brokenness and pain. So Exodus chapter 2 is where we are. And, and one more thing before we dive in. i got to tell you what's going on. If you don't know this story, Moses and his people are in slavery in Egypt. They, they are in slavery. The Israelites, also called Hebrews, are in slavery to the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And things have gotten so broken, so bad, that now the king of Egypt is trying to destroy the children. He is murdering every newborn male because if you kill the children, you do what? You kill the future of a nation, right? So he is murdering these children. And this is the scene that Moses is, is born into. It says in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Sounds like a good idea. The woman conceived and she bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child... She hid him for three months. Now, I don't know what she would have done if he wasn't a fine child, but we're not. He was a good boy. She could not stand the idea of seeing him destroyed, and it says she hid him for three months. But you know what babies do, right? They do like four things really well. They, they eat, they sleep, they poop, and they cry. But the older they get, they, they eat, they poop, and they cry more, but they sleep less. Talk about a ripoff. So she can't hide this baby now because he's starting to cry. He's starting to wake the neighbors. She's got to do something, but she's absolutely desperate. It says in verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket. Okay, will you hold on to that word for me? Basket. Just put it in your pocket and remember that word. She took for him a basket that was made of bulrushes, and she daubed it, and she covered it with butamen and pitch. She put the child in it, in the basket, and she placed it among the reeds, by the riverbank. 
and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh, the daughter of the king, the daughter of the one who was out to destroy this child, that daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. And she saw the basket, remember that word. She saw the basket among the reeds. And she said to her servant, and she, she sent her servant and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying and she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Moses is born into a broken situation. I mean, this is, this is insanity. How can things be so bad that you would put a baby in a basket in a river, in the Nile River and just, Lord help him. How, how can things be that broken? But maybe you've been a kid in a basket. I know in my life, I was born into the chaos, into the brokenness. My parents were divorced before I was old enough to know that they were ever married. I just have one memory of my parents' marriage. I see my dad and my mom in, in a mental picture, standing by the fireplace, arguing, and I see my dad's hand go up and come down right across my mom's cheek, and she starts to bleed. And just like that, my parents married, and any memory I have of it is gone. My twin sister and I lived with my mom, and she raised us, uh, but she struggled. Uh, she, she had to travel a lot for jobs, but things got bad eventually. She would spend, miss a lot of work. She'd sleep in every weekend. It was almost a guarantee that she'd be in the room, in her room, in the dark all day, sleeping. I didn't know it then. I would go on as an adult to figure out that my mom struggled with bipolar disorder. And at the days that she was so unattentive, the days that she couldn't take care of her, the days that we literally almost burned the house down, my mom was in bed with depression. My dad would come and visit us, and I remember, I remember opening the door so it was just a glass storm door and looking out with my backpack on, and, and as the afternoon turned into evening, and evening turned into night, and my dad was hours late if he came at all. And then there were times he picked us up, and, and I have memories of driving down I-30 in Dallas and just like hitting my dad, sitting in the front seat of the cab of the truck, hitting my dad in the arm because he's, just, he's all over the highway. He's falling asleep at the wheel, and I, I don't know what's going on. We get to his girlfriend's house, and time after time, we're sat in front of the TV in the living room to watch God knows what, and my dad's locked away in a room for hours all weekend. Dad, come out. Dad, we're hungry. Dad, you said we go to the park. Dad, where are you? And I didn't know it at the time, but my dad was in the throes of a drug addiction. And he'd spent hours upon hours of time that should have been hours, locked away, getting high. And this broken picture fell completely apart when I was nine years old. My mom and my, and my sister and I went to my grandparents and we made a little pallet in the floor and, and we, my mom slept on the sofa behind us. Saturday night tradition, we watched Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman and Walker, Texas Ranger. Can I get an amen? All right, those were the days. And I woke up Sunday morning at 4 a.m. to the sound of my grandfather screaming, call 911. Call 911. My, my grandmother's rushing around to grab the phone, and I see my mom on the couch behind me gasping for air. And I know that this hits home. My mom was 39 years old. She had an aneurysm in her brain that ruptured. Paramedics took her away, and I never saw my mom again. A few 
months later, we stayed with my grandparents in the immediate aftermath, and then dad came into town, and he sat down with us, and I was like, this is the moment. Dad's going to come through. He's going to be there. He sat us down, and he said, guys, I, I got arrested, and they found drugs in my car, and I've got to go away. He would spend the next three and a half years in prison. We would live with my grandparents, and I felt just like a kid in the basket. Overlooked, sit down river to whatever chaos, whatever life might happen out of this broken situation. Have you been there? Have you been in a situation that was so out of your control that you were just a victim to wherever this wicked river wanted to take you? But the story's not over for Moses. The story wasn't over for me. Look what it says in, in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 7. Pharaoh's daughter found this basket. Actually, in verse 6, it says, When Pharaoh's daughter opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him, and she said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then his sister, she'd been watching. She said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women to nurse the child? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went, and check this out, she called the child's own mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So Moses' own mom gets paid to raise him. Anybody else want to get paid for their parenting? Can I? <laughs> it would be nice, wouldn't it? So it says in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 10, when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, the Pharaoh that tried to destroy her. She brought the child back to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of water. That word Moses, that name in the Hebrew sounds like the word to draw out. And there's something that you have to know about names in the Old Testament, about the language in particular, is that the authors are very careful. God is, is very careful, and the names mean something. But it never just means what has happened. Moses doesn't just mean he was drawn out of the water. No, the names, and, and I kid you not, name after name in the Old Testament, it means not just what has happened, but it's a, prophetical, it's a prophetic declaration of what will happen. Moses is not just one who's pulled from disaster. He's one who is named, who is defined, who is called to bring up others. It's his identity. It's his definition as a being. He is Moses. And do you remember that word that I asked you to remember? Basket, y'all are sharp. Basket is a pretty common object. It's used, the word is, in English is used a lot in the Old Testament. They just say basket. In the Hebrew, the original language that it was written in, they use a lot of different words to just say basket. You know, I guess you got the woven basket, the big basket. I, I don't know why, but they use a lot of different words. This word for basket, I'm not even going to try to say it, but this word for basket in this story is used 28 times in the Old Testament. 28 times. Twice, guess how it's translated? Basket. Ooh, that was smart. The other 26 times that this word is translated in the Old Testament, it is translated ark, like Noah's ark. Because the author 
who is Moses, who's writing his own biography, knows what's up. He knows what's going on in the bigger picture. In this basket, this place of chaos, this place of desperation, actually the author says it wasn't just a basket. It was the ark. It was salvation. It was deliverance. It was the thing that brought me through. How do you know? How do you know that the basket that you feel like you were in today is not the ark and the place of rescue that God will use to bring you through? My mom was gone, my dad was locked away, and I lived with my grandparents. Ended up getting sent off to church camp. Just floating down a river in a basket. And I heard the story of Jesus. I'd heard it before, but something just over the course of that week just began to resonate with me and, and hit me in my pain. And, and from that week at a church camp I shouldn't have been because I was living with grandparents that I shouldn't have been living with because I had a mom who was gone and a dad who was locked away. I found Jesus and began to know him and begin to follow him. It was the basket that carried me through. It was, the, it was the deliverance that looked like brokenness, but it was deliverance that carried me through disaster. How do you know that the place of desperation that you're in right now is not the very thing that God will use to deliver you out? Moses, the one drawn out. You see, Moses was a survivor. I was a survivor. Moses was rescued, but he's not yet a rescuer. Not yet. Moses was the third culture kid. Now, let me indoctrinate you a little bit. If you are going to grow up and be a part of the Antioch movement, uh, we send out a lot of missionaries. You got to know what a third culture kid is, okay? So a third culture kid is someone who lives in a culture where they don't belong, but because they live in that culture, they don't really fit where they're from, okay? Perfect example, my family lived in Nepal, South Asia, for five years. Moved there when my son was 11 months old. My daughter, Ari, was born in India. And they were third culture kids growing up. So uh, we lived in Asia, but you saw all those pasty little white faces. They are not Asian. So we would go to the grocery store. Like, can you do a more normal thing than go to the grocery store? Buy milk and bread and eggs. That's like the most, that's as basic as life gets. And yet, when we walk into the store, it's like a tourist attraction. People are walking up and, and pinching their cheeks and tussling their hair and taking videos and telling us we all look like Barbie dolls. And I'm like, man, we're trying to shop. I just came here for, for some ramen noodles and some milk. Like, leave me alone. But we didn't fit in. And then we come home, and we're driving down Waco Drive in Waco, and, and my son is five, five years old, and he says, Daddy, what are these? I said, son, those are called traffic lights. Most five-year-olds know what those are. They call them green lights. But sometimes they turn red, and we call them red lights. He didn't know. He didn't fit here or there. He was somewhere in the middle, and that was me growing up. Man, I don't know where I fit. My dad did get out of jail. He moved to a small town. He raised us and gave his life, laid his life down daily. But I was, I was just floating, man. I was just lost, and I was still angry, and I was still broken, and I still didn't know if I had a place in this world. And that's where Moses is. He, he's, not, he's not a Hebrew slave anymore. He got brought into the palace. He grew up in the finest universities. He grew up with an education and wealth and prestige, but he's not Egyptian. He looks like those Hebrews. And look what happens to Moses as he's searching for his place in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. 
and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. So now Moses has taken matters into his own hands. He's tried to be the man he's called to be, the man called to draw people out. Now he's putting people under. He's a murderer. And he goes out the next day, it says, in verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews, his own people, were struggling together. And he said to the man who was wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed that Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid. And he thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses had his prodigal moment. Moses fled from the Pharaoh, and he stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Moses is afraid. Moses is lost because his own people, the Hebrews, do not want him. The house of the Pharaoh that he grew up in wants to kill him again, and he runs. He's going to spend 40 years in the wilderness, and this slave who was set free, who grew up in a palace, is going to learn to be a shepherd. And he is going to be in that wilderness, that place, for 40 years. But while he is wandering, while he is floating, God sees and God knows, not just for Moses, but for the people. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and listen to this, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Do you think that God is aware of your pain? It says he heard, he remembered, he saw, he knew. I grew up and went to Bible college and learned a lot of fancy words. And we throw those around. I'm sure J.D. tries to slip them under the radar. We use some of these big words in church. You may have heard omniscient, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing. These are big, fancy words we don't really use in our everyday speech, and we use them to describe God. But you know what the funny thing is? Even though those things are true about God, the Bible never uses those fancy words to talk about God. It's so personal. He's like, man, God hears. God knows. He's present in your pain. He's present. He's attentive. And the author wants you to know that wherever you are today, the Lord will say to you that I hear you groaning. And I remember. I remember. I remember those things that got snatched away from you before you were old enough to fight for yourself. I remember that. And I see that. And I know Moses is going to have an encounter that changes everything for him. You may be familiar with this story, but while Moses is in the desert in chapter 3, he is a shepherd, as I already said, and in that dry climate, in that hot climate, it was not totally unusual for a, uh, a shepherd to see a bush spontaneously combust and catch on fire. And that happened to Moses, but this bush, it did not burn up. It just kept burning, and it got Moses' attention. And so he goes to see this site, and God begins to speak to him out of the bush, out of the burning fire. He says, Moses, Moses, and Moses is like, uh, I'm right here. And look what God says to Moses in chapter seven or chapter 3, verse 7. 
Then the Lord said, I have surely, here we go again, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land to a good land and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then Moses and God are going to have this conversation and there's going to come a a moment that is going to define him forever. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. The Lord will say, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out. This is the moment. Moses goes from being the rescued to a rescuer. He says, your name is Moses, not because you were drawn out, but I'm going to send you back to Egypt so that you can bring my people out of disaster. It's an encounter that stamps identity, that redefines, that changes everything. I had an encounter just like this. No desert, no murdered Egyptian, no sheep, no burning bush, but basically the same, right? I told you my dad got out of jail. We moved to East Texas. He raised us as best he could, and I still had a lot of anger going on, and I ended up sitting on the back row of a youth service. Got invited. I went for the basketball and the cute girls, and and I'm sitting on the back of this youth service, and I can't tell you anything about that night, but I must have been goofing off. I wasn't paying attention. I'm sitting on the back row, and it must have been so distracting for everybody and for the youth pastor that he stopped, middle of the talk, and he pointed at me, and he said, Chase Moore! Do you believe that God wants to use you to change this world? All eyes on me. And I'm thinking, bro, I will say anything if you will make this awkwardness end. Do you believe that God wants to use you to change the world? I shook my head, sure. He said, then pay attention. Six seconds, it changed me forever. I doubt that anybody in that room or the youth pastor himself remembers that moment, but it marked me. Because I was just a broken kid trying to survive. Nobody told me that I could change the world. Nobody told me I had a purpose. Nobody told me that I was made for something more. I was a broken kid trying to figure it out who had an encounter with the truth of the living God and it changed me forever. And Moses was marked by encounter. Not just here, but again and again and again. He will be marked by encounter. Moses, one of the top five leaders in all of history of this nation, of this book, he makes the top three every time. Unprecedented miracles. Dude split an ocean in half. Dude made manna come from the sky, made water come from a rock. He is unprecedented. He is a miracle worker. He is the leader. Do you know how Moses is remembered? He is the man who met with God face to face. He was defined again and again and again by encounter. Just like I was defined by encounter. Because my youth pastor saw me, he told me to pay attention, so guess what I did the next week? I started to pay attention. I started to press in. My my youth pastor would teach me how to read this book and and how to pray, and and I would do it, man. Not not every day, but, man, I would just so many nights. I remember I have memories, beautiful memories of of getting home on the weekends, 10 and 11, hanging out with friends and climbing into bed, and something would pull me out. The Holy Holy Spirit would pull me out, and I I would sit next to my bed on that brown chair, and I would lay this book open on the ottoman, and I would just read and read and pour through the pages, and I would get to know these stories and the God of these stories, and I would find my life and your life all wrapped up in the promises of this book, and I I learned to fall in love with him, and, and I would pray. I remember my room 
It was the only room in our whole house that had not had a carpet upgrade. I kid you not, you'll like this down in Austin. I had inch and a half thick burnt orange shag carpet. Legit 1970s. And I remember I would, there would be nights I would kneel down and I would dig into that shag carpet with my fingers and I would just learn to cry out to God, God, I don't know what to do. I'm hurting and I miss her and I don't know what to do. But you said that you got a promise. You said that you would do something and I think that I'm starting to believe it, but I can't make it on my own. And I need you to redefine me. I need you to shape me. I need you to carry me through. Again and again and again, I learned to cry out to him. And that's why today I stand before you not as a man who was defined by brokenness, by addiction, by depression, by orphanhood. I stand before you as a man who is marked by encounter. <laughs> Moses is going to go back to Egypt. And this is the craziest thing of all. He is going to stand before the Pharaoh that tried to destroy him, before that household He's going to stand before that house and he's going to say, let my people go. And let me ask you this. Who else? Who else? What other man on the planet could stand in the gap between two nations, between slaves and masters and set people free except for the boy in the basket, except for the kid that didn't belong, do you see it? If the king does not give a decree to murder this child, he never ends up in the basket. If he never ends up in the basket, he never floats down and finds himself at Pharaoh's daughter's feet. If he doesn't find himself there, he never grows up in the palace. If he never grows up in the palace, he's never a Hebrew kid in an Egyptian world. He's never caught in between. He never goes out. He never murders an Egyptian. If he never murders the Egyptian, he never runs to the desert. He never encounters God. He never learns who he is and what he's called to. And he can't stand before the house that tried to destroy him and say, let my people go. It's your story. It's my story. If I don't live in a broken home with a mom who's depressed and a dad who's addicted, if my mom doesn't pass away, if my dad is never locked up, I never end up at a church camp that my grandparents sent me to and I never know Jesus and his love. If my dad doesn't come out of that and start to rebuild his life, I never end up on the back row of that youth service. I'm never so annoying and so distracting that the youth pastor stops what he's doing and calls me out. I never get redefined by encounter. Could it be that the basket you're in is exactly the thing that God will use to bring you through? Because there is authority on your life to stand before the house. You grew up in poverty, there's authority to, to stand before others and place value and dignity. You grew up an orphan, there's, a, there's authority for you to stand up and say, I know a good, good father, and he is yours too. You grew up in addiction. There's authority to stand before the house on behalf of others and say, I made it and there is freedom for you. There is authority to stand before the house, even the one that tried to destroy you and set people free. But you won't find that with that encounter. Things weren't rosy for me. I went off. I went to Bible school. My dad and I built a great relationship. We were best friends. I went to Bible school. Things were looking great. I, I got married two weeks after I graduated. And then three months later, my dad, my best friend at this point in my life, sat me down and said, going away. 
He had been diagnosed with stomach cancer. Two weeks later, he was gone. And that broken kid found himself back in, back in the basket. I remember where we lived, there was a river that ran through town and there was a dam and the water would pour over that dam so that you couldn't hear yourself scream. And I would go sit by that riverbank and I would yell out to God, Where are you? What is this? I don't deserve this. At least it is somebody else's turn. And I didn't find the answers that I wanted. But I found a father who saw, who heard, who remembered, and who knew. And hey, here's what I want to say to you today. We, we don't, we're not here to explain away your pain. We're definitely not here to say that God caused your brokenness, but we're here to tell you that there is a Father who wants to meet with you and wants to use the brokenness in your life, not only to set you free, but to make you a source of freedom for others. So we're going to respond to Jesus. I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to worship and we're going to pray. And here's what I would ask. If you don't know what you need, but you know you need something, as our life group leaders come forward, as our leadership team comes forward, you come and get what you need. If you've been questioning why there's brokenness and pain in your life and it feels unresolved, hey, we're not here to give answers, but we're here to point you to a God who wants to encounter you, who wants to redefine your brokenness for victory. If you need courage to walk out and be the man or the woman that you know God has called you to be, we want to pray for you. If you just need somebody to be present and to know what's going on in your life, we want to be there. We want to introduce you to a Father who cares, who remembers, who sees, who knows. So as we worship, you respond.